Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey, everyone. As we get deeper into 2022, it is time for all of us to do our part, to save democracy, and to show that America can and will stay on that arc of bending history towards justice. I want you to go to jointheunion.us and sign up to help our grassroots efforts. Fill out the survey. Tell us where it is you want to help. We'll put you in touch with the people who can put you to work. Jointheunion.us. Do your part. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm happy to welcome back Maya May, comedian and host of LPTV's We're Speaking. Maya, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Reed. So, Maya, thanks again for teaming up with me to take questions from our listeners, our fellow members of the Lincoln Project community. And before we get into our questions, I think we shouldn't overlook that we're recording this on February 24th, the first day of the war that Russia initiated against a peaceful and democratic Ukraine. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a few minutes talking about that. This is a war of pure aggression. Ukraine is a peaceful democracy. It's a young democracy. It is trying its best to climb out of the, you know, 20 plus years it was under authoritarian rule. You know, at first, Maya, Putin said this was about Ukraine potentially becoming a member of NATO. That was always, ironically, a red herring. This is really about, I think, a guy who is old, who I think is in some ways addled and has these like revanchist fantasies of the great Soviet Union, of which he was, you know, an officer in the KGB, somehow coming back to greatness when, in fact, communism didn't work, communism failed. And the only reason we're dealing with this right now is because we have a very dangerous man, probably the richest man in the world, who has his own army and his own nuclear arsenal. And that is what he is. He is not a leader. He is an autocrat. He is a strong man. And this is the result of what we're seeing of four years of Donald Trump, who was literally trying to rip the guts out of a post-war settlement, which had NATO. And NATO has expanded since then to the Baltic states, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, to Poland, to Romania. And, you know, Russians, for whatever reason, are always pretty paranoid. They're always convinced that the West is out to get them. When in fact, the West would just assume like Russia just did whatever it was going to do, <laughs> sort of left its lack of self-esteem or its insecurity complex to itself and left the rest of us alone. Well, yeah, paranoia is one hell of a drug, right? In a sense, projecting, thinking that we're sitting over here plotting the entire time when we ourselves are just trying to make sure that our democracy continues and functions. And so multitasking be damned. I don't think that is what we're trying to do. And, you know, Trying to explain what's going on to my daughter, she's 14 years old, I had to take a deep breath because I could tell last night she didn't understand the severity of everything that was going on. And I had a feeling, I'm like, given what's going on in schools these days, they're probably not going to talk about it 
at school today. I, I look forward to finding out if they do. But this is such a critical point in time because I feel like people are finally seeing and waking up to what it means to have a former world power, a quote unquote leader, feel like he has nothing to lose. It's almost like he's hit a point of stagnation and thinks that by creating chaos, he will be able to shake things up enough to be able to make himself relevant again. It's the relevance. It's also, again, the insecurity. You know, he's like 69, 70 years old. He doesn't look very good in these speeches he's giving. He seems irritable and overwrought in sort of the way that he's talking. You know, my parents grew up, you know, in the 50s and 60s at the beginning of the Cold War with duck and cover drills, right? Like hiding under your desk as if a fifth grade desk was going to protect you from a nuclear blast. But I mean, I remember, you know, the 80s vividly. There was one day a week at my elementary school in Northern Virginia where the bomb thing went off, right? there. You know, they still crank the thing up every week. I remember Red Dawn, you know, Wolverines, right? The Russians were the bad guys. The Americans were the good guys. We were for democracy and freedom, and they were for tyranny and the power of the state over the individual. You know, in my mind, the good guys won. But there's a lot of Americans now, your daughter, my daughters, notwithstanding, Maya, who don't remember that. You know, maybe they only see it when they watch a Red Dawn or a Spies Like Us or a very Cold War era movie. It's maybe the way that we would watch a World War II movie, right? We can't imagine it. You know, our parents or grandparents anyway went through it. And so it's just weird now that we're, you know, everything old is new again. And there's a whole new generation of Americans watching this unfold, not like we did, which was maybe through culture or through the evening news or listening to our parents and grandparents, but in real time. Real time and seeing it on TikTok. I mean, this morning, that's when my daughter truly understood what was going on. I walked into her room and I, quite frankly, had been up too late and woke up this morning. And instead of doing my typical routine of working out and journaling and doing all the things where I get my mindset right, I was on Twitter scrolling and retweeting and doom scrolling and trying to get informed about what had happened over the evening. And she just looked at me with this look on her face and she goes, it's really bad. What's happening? Yeah. And I saw one of our old friends on Twitter today, and then we'll get to everybody's questions, Maya. And he said, I would like to live through precedented times for once. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was genius. I thought it was genius. So, all right, well, let's get to our folks' questions here about what's going on over there. Jenna Young says, I'm incredibly concerned about what is going on with Russia and Ukraine, but some of my friends seem to think it's not really our concern. How can I lay out to them why it matters to the United States and the everyday American? You know, so much of what is historically echoing right now, Maya, is really only 100 years old, which is when the democratic world does not stand up to the aggressive authoritarian, to the one who is going to go out and take power and take land and subjugate other people, then it will happen more often. And we've already seen it here, right? What we're seeing in Ukraine right now, Maya, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that if we had not had four years of Donald Trump kowtowing to a guy like Vladimir Putin, actively trying to rip out the circuitry of NATO and the post-World War II security apparatus and the United Nations, if he had not seen something like a January 6th last year, aside from all his other work trying to undermine our elections and our politics, if he had not seen January 6th 
and the relatively speaking little corresponding consequence that anyone up to this moment has suffered from it, I don't think he does this. And so why does it matter? It matters because what happens overseas nowadays, maybe 40 years ago, Maya, when we were kids, it's a different thing. But nowadays, that stuff can absolutely happen here. And I think we're seeing it with a lot of the talking heads on Fox and a lot of these other places. They want what Vladimir Putin has on offer. And so why does it matter to the everyday American? Because we need to use this time to galvanize ourselves, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Americans to say, we have a choice here. This is a crossroads, not only for us, but for the world. Do we want to live in a country where the president can start a war because he feels like it? Yeah, that's a very sobering thought. You know, we don't exist in a vacuum. And I know a lot of people that I talk to, especially in the last few days, want to be able to continue living their day-to-day -day lives as if we're not seeing autocracy spread in places like Texas and places like Florida. And the parallels, like you said, Reed, are so vivid right now. They're almost visceral. You know, yesterday was the first day where I was like, damn, okay, we are really truly up against something because this is a momentum thing. And so if we allow Putin to gain momentum with what he's doing, all that does is get the people over here who are doing the trucker convoys and all these sort of things gives them that push that we don't we don't want them to have that push. I think that's right. All right. Let's ask our next question. Llewellyn Toolman asks, I think one of the reasons Putin is threatening Ukraine is that in an effort to ensure his puppet, Trump, is reelected in 2024, he wants to humiliate Biden and hand him another defeat, like the Afghanistan withdrawal. Is this a factor we should be concerned about? You know, Maya, I think that's something that, you know, maybe was on his mind. Certainly, a lot of Republicans have decided to utilize that thinking that Joe Biden is weak. I think he's proving himself otherwise. But I don't think he would have done it simply to try and get Donald Trump reelected in 2024. I think he had very personal, pretty irrational reasons for doing so. So should we be concerned about it? We should be concerned about it domestically because we're seeing even the Republican leaders who are coming out and, you know, decrying Russia's invasion, Maya, are oftentimes, you know, getting in a shot at Joe Biden on the way to being for democracy, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And the messaging around this is of concern to me because I am seeing a lot of people, even in the last day when we are in crisis, people on the left, progressives, attacking some of Biden's policies, even just domestic things. And right now I'm going, OK, we need to focus. We cannot hand the Republicans any sort of messaging that they're going to be able to use in the midterms. And I feel like this is very much a eyes on the prize triage kind of situation where we need to focus on what matters, understand that we are in a bit of a crisis right now. And instead of trying to complain and tear down things that he's doing here domestically, focus on everything that's going right. Well, that's right. And I mean, that's a broader political issue that we've been contending with. But I think, unfortunately, it's taken something like Russia's invasion of Ukraine to galvanize not only Democrats, but I think also a lot of other Americans who may identify as Republicans or independents, which is there's a lot of those sort of old latent memories coming back like, wait, 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 you're supporting Russia? You're supporting Vladimir Putin like the czar? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
right? Is it a wake up call? Because that's what I was hoping. I was like, okay, maybe this is the thing that we needed to get some folks out of their stupor. I don't know if we're seeing that. Are you saying we're seeing that? You know, I would say this is for all of the people who, you know, didn't take Trump seriously at first. Then when he was nominated, didn't think he could win. I was among those. Then once he won, said, oh, this is all going to be okay. Then he was in office tearing out the circuitry of the American political system and American government and said, it's fine. Tax cuts and judges, right? Well, I don't really like his antics, but he's not so bad. Then he gets impeached for Ukraine because he told the Ukrainian president, I will give you guns when you give me the dirt I want on Joe Biden. And this Ukrainian president said no. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. The guns didn't come. All this stuff got picked up because there were whistleblowers like Alex Vindman and Fiona Hill and others at the White House who said this cannot stand. This is not how an American president acts. He's impeached. And now, Maya, all those Republican senators who not only voted to acquit him, but wouldn't even allow witnesses to be questioned in that trial now on two years ago, are now looking back in the mirror, I hope, and saying, what have I done? Do I believe a lot of them are? I don't know. But I'll say this. Now is their last chance to stand up as Americans, not as Republicans, not as senators, but as Americans and decide whether or not they want to do the right thing. This is their last chance to be on the right side of history. Will a lot of them do it? I don't know. Some of them will. Some of them will continue to be concerned with their own races or getting on the wrong side of Trump or that they want to run for president. But I think that if they don't do the right thing now, at this moment, when they've got yet another juncture to do the right thing, then they're never going to do it. And as far as I'm concerned, all of them are irredeemable. All right. So Charlie Farmer, Maya, asks, I cannot understand why Tucker Carlson is so pro-Russia. At least with Trump's pro-Russia positions, I can understand that they are influenced by outstanding debts, blackmail, or whatever else they hold over him. But with Tucker, I don't understand what's in it for him. Furthermore, how is his pro-Russian message taking hold with so many Americans? I personally see friends and family members who are active duty military during the Cold War now posting on Facebook about how good a job Putin is doing. Well, let's start with Tucker. Maya, if Tucker Carlson is not an active Russian asset, then he's doing a hell of a job impersonating one. I don't know what they promised him. I don't know what they've got over him, but it's beyond the pale at this point. I can't begin to explain it. I mean, it's almost like every night he's drunk with the power of chaos. In his mind, it feels like he even thinks that he wouldn't get discarded the minute that he no longer is useful. And so I'm not even trying to understand why he's doing it. I think the focus now needs to be on stopping it, like pure and simple. Yeah, well, that's right. And so during this first day of this war, we put out requests to you know our followers you know, just melt Fox News's phone lines. And I think we totally crippled one of their phone lines and crippled another one. But that's only the first thing, right? That sort of makes us feel good. And it might send a little bit of a message. But I think to really get to a Fox News, remember, no like reputable person advertises during Tucker Carlson's show because he's so odious to normal advertisers, right? Like Tide, McDonald's, Mazda, whoever, right? They're not advertising with Tucker Carlson, even if he's got big numbers. So who is it? It's the pillow guy. It's the gold weirdos. It's the crypto scam artists. It's the guys who'll come put a bomb shelter in your backyard because they get all their money through their contracts with the big cable companies, right? So what's the next step? Going to Comcast and Cox and Xfinity and all these other people and saying, 
you can't have this on your airwaves or the next time that the, your deal with them comes up for renewal, you're not going to give them $6 a household. You're going to give them $2 a household. And you're going to say, it costs me too much in other trouble to give you this kind of money. And I don't care about the eyeballs. I don't care about the eyeballs. And that's going to be a much different position for a lot of these companies than they've had to be in before. And it's interesting, Maya, but also somehow disappointing when you reference some of the other states, that it's going to take something like this, to your point about waking up, to get so many people to finally say, oh, shit. Oh, now this is what it is. Oh, I can't do this anymore. But that's not easy. But the good news is there's 330 million Americans and about 300 million of them believe in right and about 30 million of them are crazy and believe in wrong. Yeah. And to the second part of this question, why is it taking hold with so many Americans? You know, unfortunately, when somebody does have the stature of a Tucker Carlson because of things like authority bias, if people are having their fear stirred up by somebody that they, I hate to say, use the word trust, but they do, it is very easy for them to be pulled in a certain direction. And so what you have is this man who has the power of manipulation on a very scalable level, and he's got these people kind of almost like in a stranglehold. It's almost like a hallucination at this point. And so, again, it's like these are the actions. Like, I love the strategy that you just mentioned because I think it's more plausible at this point that companies are starting to go, oh, yeah, yeah, the actual costs on the back end of this make it no longer worth it. So I think I love that strategy of it. And I think that's what's going to take to be able to like cut this off because from a psychological perspective, what he is doing, what Tucker's doing is very powerful and very difficult to break. I had Jeremy Peters on from the New York Times last week, and in his new book, he said something that's really stuck with me, is that, that a lot of the people who are voting Republican now are not Republicans and they're not conservatives, but they are anti-liberals. And so they are all these people who probably had little to no interaction with the mainstream political discourse in this country. They probably didn't vote very often. They were probably the kind of folks that like, you had that guy in your family or that gal in your family and you're like, oh, Uncle Bob, you know, like he's a little kooky. Well, turns out there's a hell of a lot more of them than we thought there were. And now a guy like Donald Trump has enabled their entry and their acceptance in taking positions and saying and doing things that otherwise would have been considered socially and politically unacceptable. So what you see is a lot of people that feed on this stuff, as I mentioned, were not normal voters anyway, right? They dig the white Christian nationalist stuff. They love it when Steve Bannon and Eric Prince, who's both a criminal here at home and a war criminal abroad, say things like Vladimir Putin is the anti-woke leader. He's the anti-LGBT leader, right? They know what bathrooms to use. The flip side of that, of course, is that the Fox audience being as old as it is, most of these people came up during the Cold War. Many of them probably served in the military during the Cold War. So they may be Republicans, conservative Republicans, maybe they really don't like Democrats. Maybe they love what Tucker does to sort of stoke that fire. But that's different than being on the side of the former KGB nutcase anti-democratic guy invading an otherwise peaceful country. Yeah, I'd like to believe that there's going to be a bit of cognitive dissonance that occurs over the coming weeks as people start to realize what being for Russia when we are a democracy, what that actually means. And I hope that we continue to 
clarify the very real difference between what conservatism is versus what today's GOP is so that maybe people can come back to the fold and be pro-democracy so that we can actually have issues again that aren't scary. Well, and, you know, that's a good lead in, Maya, to our next question from Jamie Washington, who says, all of our nation's focus is on Russia and Ukraine, and rightfully so. But how can Democrats continue to move the conversation forward on key democracy issues like voting rights in the January 6th committee so that they aren't lost and forgotten about? So this is a great question because, again, I think in a lot of our conversations, Maya, is we've heard from folks across the country, whether or not they're individual voters, community leaders, donors, is the sort of malaise that, you know, it's already over. We're going to lose the House. Maybe it's not even worth the fight. I'm hoping that something like this does galvanize those folks like you talked about around things like voting rights, making sure that the January 6th committee realizes, okay, we're not going to start these hearings till April. But let me tell you something, like when we do, we're never going to let anybody forget about this stuff because now Maya, in the last 13 months, almost 14 months, we've had an assault on our own democracy in the form of January 6th, where so much of the Republican leadership in this country is still making excuses for it. And now, you know, the unprovoked attack on Ukraine by an autocrat that so much of the Republican firmament has been behind because people like Trump and Tucker Carlson, who are both powerful and power centers in their own right in this. Now, to your point about the cognitive dissonance, we need to get the Democrats to say, you know what? We are Americans. We're going to stand behind our president. We're going to do what it takes to preserve American democracy. We need independence to do that, too. And then we need to cleave off a whole bunch of those Republicans. And I think they're as gettable now maybe as they ever were to say, I was a lifelong Republican. But finally, now at this hour, Maya, I can have nothing more to do with these people. Yeah, I think the more that we can show the parallels between what is happening in Russia and what is happening in this sort of laboratories of autocracy here in America, I think the more people will get it. They will understand that the road that the GOP is trying to lead us down is a very ugly one and doesn't align with the ideals of our country. And so I think we just have to keep hammering that point home over and over again. Otherwise, we're going to get to the midterms. And I feel like people are going to be very confused about what they are voting for. Right. And I think that this, not to be so crassly political about it, Maya, but something like the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I believe gives Democratic leaders and Democratic voters a very clear value proposition to run on, which I think has been missing because their own party is fractured along ideological and policy lines which have made it difficult for them to come up with some sort of umbrella belief system that they can all get behind. I think this could and maybe should be it, you know, if they're willing to do it, right? I mean, I know that Democrats sometimes have a hard time with patriotism, but like you got a better chance of winning with patriotism than without it. Oh, a hundred percent. And I don't think it's crass at all because I think it's the Navy SEALs who have the thing where it's like when something terrible happens, you have to look at it as like it's good. And because like, oh, we don't have the tactical equipment that we need. Good. We have to get better with the equipment we do have. And so anytime that there is a crisis, if we're going to be better problem solvers, we have to say, OK, this thing happened. How do we use it? 
to get to where we need to be. And what you mentioned, Reed, is exactly what needs to happen. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. I think people are coming off the bench. People are coming off the sidelines and deciding that now is the time to actually participate in our participatory democracy. Well, you know, to that end, we got a question about the future of the GOP from Maynard Darby, which is a great name. Maynard says, I heard on a recent podcast episode, you all posed the question, if Trumpism could survive without Trump, and it seemed like the consensus was no. Assuming Trump doesn't run in 2024, what would the unraveling of Trumpism look like and how long would it take? You know, what you would see would be a whole bunch of Trump impersonators trying to be like him at least for 23 and 24, maybe 2026, maybe 2028. The problem is, is that none of them in and of themselves, Maya, command the sort of control like he does, not only over individual candidates, but also over different organs of the party, the fundraising he's able to do. And so could it be sooner than later? I think it probably is, but sooner could be two, four, six years away. But I would also say, even with Trump not in some places, for example, in places like Texas and Florida, we're also seeing the fruits of what happens when these types of people believe they have to hew to that sort of authoritarian, anti-democratic line. Whether or not it's Ron DeSantis, you know, it's CPAC, once again, calling the press an enemy, or with Greg Abbott, whether or not it's him sending members of the Texas National Guard to the border, Maya, for purely political reasons, and a number of them have taken their own lives while they're there. They don't want to be there. They're actually attempting to unionize, which I didn't even know the National Guard could do. Or if it's the fact that in a court case that's unraveling now that he commanded the state's energy grid to keep prices high, that he knew it was going on, the whole thing collapsed and he was at the middle of it. And what does he do, Maya, to try and distract from that? You know, he said that parents of trans kids should be picked up by, you know, the Department of Family Services and charged with child abuse. I mean, there is no bottom for these people. Absolutely not. And all of that is going to backfire. I truly do believe that. And I think we're seeing the unraveling of it in Virginia. People are finally seeing that Glenn Youngkin is the person that we said that he is. We're sick of being right, Maya. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've joined that group now. And so what I love is that he's being called out by Gen Z. And I think it's important to note that because they all connect with each other throughout the country. I love the way they organize. They do it so very rapidly. And so they've all come together to call this out. And so it's speeding up the unraveling and it's drawing attention to it. And so I think it's a really good model that can be sort of copied in other states. It's like, this is how you call it out and this is how you do it quickly. Well, and I think, you know, I remember back to September with an old family friend of mine in Virginia and I asked, are you supporting Yunkin? And they said, yes, in fact, we're hosting a fundraiser for him. And I said, this is not Mitt Romney. This is not the guy you think he is. I'm telling you, he's great. He's great. He's great. And absolutely no surprise that Virginians are now like, oh, shit, what did we do? Right now, the good news is, at least, you know, at the legislative level, Maya, is that the Democrats still control the state Senate there. So the Republican House keeps passing this crazy shit or the delegates and the Democrats in the Senate keep saying, go away with that stuff. He's already had to have a bunch of people resign because of things they've said or, or unethical things. So he's been in office, what, six weeks? Like, this is not going to get better for him. And he, I'm sure right now he's screaming at his consultant 
Like this was supposed to be easy. This was supposed to be a job I could do. This was supposed to catapult me into the presidency. And now he realizes, oh, wait, Virginia is not a red state. It is blue verging on purple or purple verging on blue. Excuse me. By and large, most people in the United States are actually okay with being decent and being inclusive and loving thy neighbor. Like that's an actual thing still. And so what I think we're seeing is this huge disconnect between what the leadership thinks will win by being so aligned with Trump because they're so afraid of him. And so they're running with his messaging. And I think they're just shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again. And I cannot wait to see it come back to bite them in the ass in the midterms because it will. This is where, you know, at the state level, especially Maya, being governor is a real job. It's a real job. The things you do all day, every day have real impacts on people's lives. Being a senator, being a member of the legislature, like, you know, you get up and you give your speech and you vote. And it's important, right? That is an important job. But people don't connect it to their individual lives the way they do with executives. And so that's the thing is that all of this stuff that you see out of a guy like Greg Abbott right now is simply to do two things. One, to fire up, you know, the craziest of the crazies who already don't like him, right? They don't like him anyway. And also hide all of the incompetence of his second term such that he can try and, you know, win a third term so he can run for president in 2024 or beat Donald Trump's attorney general. Like all of these things that are cockamamie to begin with, but have impacts on individuals' lives. And I think that to your point, like Texas, is it a Republican state? It's more Republican than it is Democrat, but it's not an indecent state. All right, let's see. Diane de Normandy says, I live in a blue state or did until Glenn Youngkin, previously mentioned, came along. I trust my senators to represent my views. How do I influence Republicans in other states? How do we make a difference without money? Well, Maya and Diane, do we have a thing for you? So guys, we will have a lot more to say about this in the coming days and weeks. But Diane, what I would ask you to do and everyone listening to do is to go to jointheunion.us. If you want to make a difference in your state or other states, in races, in being elections judges, whatever the case might be, go to jointheunion.us. We're going to recruit a million volunteers between now and Election Day. Think of it like a big vacuum cleaner. We're going to vacuum cleaner up volunteers, and we're going to push those volunteers back into the states and the races where they need to work, where they want to work with the skill sets, whether or not it's a campaign or an organization needs to do their best. There's a lot of ways. Diane, to be successful without money in politics. Money in politics makes people lazy. It buys you options. It doesn't buy you victory. And so I think that we are now at a point in this country where, you know, Maya, you travel a lot. I travel the country a lot. There are a lot of people who want, they ask this question, what can I do? What can I do? And guys, join the union.us. The union is the way to do it. And Maya, I'm very excited. We've already had tens of thousands of people sign up already without even a lot of fanfare. And I'm very excited about this. So glad that Joe Trippi and his team came on board and Megan and her folks from, you know, years past where, you know, we can take and harness these millions of people out in the states who maybe they're not Democrats, maybe they're not Republicans, maybe they're not independents, but they want to do something and they're looking for a way to help. Yeah, I'm incredibly excited about the union because I even know like I went to college for political science 
after being a theater kid because I thought, oh, the way to make a difference is to, you know, study law and I'll go on to, you know, study civil rights law and become a lawyer. And then I decided to get my MFA in poetry because I was like, oh, well, no, it's about the messaging and reaching people at their hearts, you know, before you change their minds. And what I realized over the years is it doesn't matter what skill set that you have, you can apply it to making our country a better place. And so it doesn't matter if you're like a web designer or a coder, like there's always a way to figure out how to contribute. And so I love that about the union, that it's giving people the opportunity to use skills that they may take for granted and realize that those skills can be put to use right now. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Me too. And so you'll have more to hear about that. But Diane, thanks for your question. All right. Our next question is from Ava McDermott. And she says, there's no chance that Trump's truth social actually catches on and becomes a real social network, right? Well, Ava, as I understand it, it's had some trouble already. First and foremost, Maya, now I'm no tech guy, but I understand that like building any kind of platform, let alone a social media network where you're hoping millions, if not tens, if not hundreds of millions of people are trading their views on a second by second basis does not seem like the easiest thing to do. When you've got Devin Nunes, right, formerly of, of Central California, running the show with little to no money behind it. Ava, it's been a technical disaster, as I understand it. And for what they have done, they ban anybody who says anything bad about Donald Trump. So, you know, I think it's likely to be like Getter or these other, you know, wacko places, which I got to be honest with you, if these folks want to live in a zoo of their own making, I'd rather have them living in the zoo than out in the wild, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't want our algorithms affected by the trash that they spew. So if it does exist in its own ecosystem, let it be, let it exist. Maybe I'll even go and check out the craziness to see what's going on in the zoo. But I think this just goes to show how inept and arrogant they are to think that you can create a network like a Twitter, like a Facebook overnight. All of these platforms took years of iterating, years of engineers debugging to get to where they're at now. And this idea that he can just decide he's just going to launch one and it's going to be perfect. It's like this is literally how he runs his entire life. And it's always a catastrophe. Well, and somebody told him it's a get rich quick scheme. You'll own 100 percent of it. You're going to make a gajillion dollars. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then again, you know, just like everybody else that surrounds him. You know, they're the ne'er-do-wells, the never-wers, the has-beens, you know, the never-gonna-bees. You know, when you're someone like Donald Trump, Maya, you don't get the best because the best want nothing to do with someone like you. And I think we've seen that throughout his history. There was a consulting firm, I think, that was going to be involved with some of the development that once they realized what they were going to be building, like immediately jumped. So, yeah, like I think the best developers are not on this. This is no. probably the developers that got D's. Right. That's like the uh, the sixth grader in a steam program someplace. Right. Like it's this is your first project. Oh, OK. All right. Well, let's finish it off here. Becca Heitger says, what about the 2022 midterm makes you feel most hopeful? Well, our uh, senior advisor, Joe Trippi, put a memo out about this. And Rob, maybe we can put the link to it in the show recap this week. You know, five things that give us hope. Well, the first is that Democrats have actually done much better than expected in the redistricting process. In fact, they just had a couple of wins this week and they're likely to have a couple more. So, you know, they could finish the redistricting process with three or four more seats that went for Biden in 2020 than they expected when they thought, you know, they were going to be down. Next is that there are 
and I think the Russia-Ukraine stuff, Maya is really pointing this out, there are a lot of kooks running as Republicans. These aren't Republicans. These are kooks. And I would venture to say that even if I was still a Republican, I wouldn't claim these people. So don't underestimate the ability of the Republican Party to find a way, as it is done in like 2010 or with Donald Trump or in the Georgia Senate races of early last year, to grab defeat from the jaws of victory. They will be well-funded and they are relentless, but at the end of the day, it's got to be an individual on the ballot. And I think that what we're seeing right now is that they are crossways with one another because they only care about power and money and their own interests. They're all willing to knife one another to do that. And then I think, you know, we see that at the Democrats, Maya, there's not a lot of really ugly primaries so far. We might have a couple, but I think the Democrats, like they did in 18 and 20, are doing a pretty good job on recruiting. So is it going to be a hard year? It is going to be a hard year, and we shouldn't deny that. Is it over? It's far from over. And as I've said, guys, you probably get sick of hearing me repeat these things. The fastest way to beat an army is convinced that it's already lost, right? We are not lost. We are far, far, far from lost. And so what I would say is keep your head up. If there's anything that we've seen from the horrific scenes that we're seeing out of Ukraine is that Americans are fundamentally decent and they are fundamentally pro-democracy. And so, Maya, it's up to folks like us and the Lincoln Project and a lot of our allies to go remind people who and what we are and why we need to vote for the right people, the pro-democracy candidates in this country, and, you know, hope that we can create the next path ahead. Whatever the old epic was is over. And, you know, we're going to build something new. And I think that's actually pretty exciting when you sort of let the clouds clear. Yeah, 100 percent. Like we've seen the ugliness. We know what we're up against. And I think what keeps me absolutely hopeful going into the midterms is that people are paying attention, deciding to get informed. And I think that's incredibly important in understanding that you have to vote. You have to register to vote. So I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's making sure that they are registering. And because if we participate in this process, we can actually move forward together. And I truly do see people getting better information now and being more mindful. And we just have to pace ourselves. And that means setting aside time to also chill. I want people to chill in addition to doing the work. Don't burn yourself out. What is this chill you speak of? I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> Five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it takes. You just need to give yourself 10 minutes from this stuff, y'all. Get your rest in, get your steps in, hydrate, pace yourself, have buddies that can lift you up when you're feeling like, oh, this is insurmountable. Because if we go into this with the right kind of energy, we're going to be just fine. That's right. So, there is the self-care that Maya just described, and then just the reminder that you're not alone. We're all out there. We're all pulling for each other and for something bigger than ourselves. And I think, Maya, that's, that's certainly what gets me out of bed every day and probably gets me to not take as much time off as I should. Well, Maya, listen, I want to thank you for joining me today. Before we get out of here, do you have any upcoming dates to plug and or where can people find you online? You can find me at Maya on stage on all platforms. Shout out to everybody who's following me on Peloton now. That's been a lot of fun. It makes me get on the bike more. And I'm actually headed to Florida. I'm headed to New York and Florida next month. So we'll see what's happening there. I think I might teach a little course in Florida. And as always, gang, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. I want to thank everybody for listening. Keep the faith, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. 
be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.